I'm Jeff Cohen. So many of us are searching for authenticity and connection in our lives. This is especially true for our next guest, Rivka Kaplan, who experienced a tumultuous childhood. The challenges of her early years drove her to seek meaning and fulfillment, which she ultimately found through Orthodox Judaism. And she's here today to tell her story. Rivka, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So let's jump into your story. We always like to set some context at the very beginning. So give our listeners a sense of where you were born and raised and where your story begins. So I was born in the 1950s in Chicago, Illinois, and I was born into a completely secular Jewish family. Um, we knew we were Jewish because, um, our, first of all, our mother enrolled us in, in the local Reformed temple. We had Hanukkah. We lit Hanukkah menorah. We had Pesach seders with matzah and dinner rolls. So that was the way it was. And we walked around the temple with flags on some Torah. That was about all we observed. I didn't know that there was any other observance to being Jewish. All right. So continuing the story, I mentioned in the introduction, a tumultuous childhood. So what was going on in those early years? Can you bring that to life for our listeners? My parents got divorced when I was young. There was a lot of fighting in the house. And I remember getting in the middle of their fights. So I was already an influencer. <laughs> because somehow when I get in the middle, they'd stop fighting. But they ended up divorcing still when I was quite young. You know, it was in the mid-50s, so, you know, nobody got divorced back then. We didn't even know what the word meant. None of my friends had divorced parents, and I even had to lie. They'd ask me, where's your father? And I'd say, he's on a business trip. And then finally in sixth grade, I admitted that my parents were divorced. But by then, the word had become more of a household word, unfortunately. So how did your life change after the divorce, you were now living with your mom, or what was the situation post-divorce? We all lived with my, our mother, and my father lived in an apartment not too far from us, and we would see him on Sundays. It was very hard. It was very depressing. It was a very depressed kind of a lifestyle, and there were financial struggles. My father was not happy you know, with the divorce. He didn't want the divorce. My mother wanted it. So he wasn't giving us child support. There was a lot of financial difficulty. And then he moved away. He moved to St. Louis. It was a very empty and lonely life. I felt a huge void. I loved my father very much. I felt isolated and confused. I felt very deprived. And like I was missing out on something. So all these words that you're using to describe your life, which, first of all, I'm sorry you had to go through that at such a young age. Like, no one should have to deal with that. So it's, I, I can't even imagine but all those words make me think you'd be seeking something. Even though you're young, you're thinking, I want my life to be better. How could I make that happen? So what were you doing with these feelings? I would walk to temple. So my mother enrolled us. It was called Sabbath school. And I felt very connected to Hashem. And the whole way there, I would be freezing, soaking wet and freezing. And my mother worked, you know, she worked full time. So Saturdays she would sleep. And I would walk alone to Sabbath school and, and I would see all the, the little girls stepping out of their parents' cars with the bows. And, you know, I felt that huge contrast. But the whole way I would talk to Hashem, I didn't know his name was Hashem, God. And I would say, God, please put me in a little bubble so that I don't feel this cold. And I felt very connected to God. And then even in the temple, I was in the choir and, you know, with the microphone and the organ you know, and we'd sing all the prayers. And I, I felt very connected. 
How do you think you knew at such a young age? I'm comparing that stage and how I felt at that stage. Like you just said, I didn't even know the word Hashem. It would not have occurred to me that I could find answers or seek assistance from another source besides what's right in front of me and what I can see. Why do you think at that young age you felt like there was a God that could be part of your life? I didn't think to to like research it or ask anybody like, oh, are you talking to God or am I the only one talking to God? So now that I'm an adult, I realize that everything is Hashkafa Pratis. And I understand there was also a family in the neighborhood that you were connecting to, which also makes sense to me when you're not thrilled with your own home life, you might be seeking another family in the neighborhood that you feel comfortable. So how did that story unfold? So after the divorce, my mother had to go to work full time, and I was still too young to go to school. My older siblings were all in school full time, but I was too young. So she needed childcare. There was, it was before daycare or anything like that. And we had these ne- next door neighbors. They were Hasidim that had escaped the Nazis and fled to Siberia and lived there for many years. And, and then they ended up through, of course, Hashkacha Pratis, Divine Providence, right next door to our house. And it was before air conditioning and television. So the neighbors used to really literally talk to each other, (laughs) you know, so we'd be outside because you couldn't be in the house. It was so hot. And my mother became friendly with them. And she spoke a little, my mother knew Yiddish. And that's all they spoke was Yiddish and maybe Polish. So she would talk to them and we became very close and very friendly with them. So she asked if they would babysit me, which they agreed to. So that's really how it started. So I spent a lot of time in this house. So this family you're talking about, they were living a fully observant life next door to you? It just happened that you had this Orthodox family or were they more traditional? Like, did you have any sense of where they stood? They were literally off the boat. I think they they were from Galicia and they wore strimals and kapatas and they were very, very... Orthodox. I mean, very Hasidic, just like plucked right out of Europe. Like there was no change. There was no secularism at all in this family. So what did you think about what you were being exposed to? I'm picturing you have your experience that you described as, you know, a secular Jew and right next door is a fully Orthodox family that because of circumstances, you're now spending a lot of time getting exposed to how they're living their lives. Do you remember having impressions of what they were doing and their lifestyle compared to yours, and whether you wanted to integrate anything that they were doing? Yes, I would go over there. I was quite young. And the bubby, you know, it was like a bubby and a Zadie. And, and then they had their five children who got married and lived also lived like within walking distance of the house. Because back then it was, everybody just stayed close. And then there were grandchildren that were my age. They spoke English and Yiddish. So we became friends. And so it became like a lot of fun for me. And I was looking for that authenticity in the adults in my life. All the adults in my life were very phony and superficial. Like even though we were struggling financially, we had rich relatives. So I was surrounded by this wealth, even though we didn't have anything, we were really in poverty. But I saw this wealth and, and but then I saw this superficiality And I hated it. I was like, where are the real people? Where are the real Jews? Like, I really felt like these were not real Jews. And even as a small child, I felt that. And I felt like this family, they were real. They were authentic. They weren't phony. They were kind and warm and caring. I would walk in in my tank top and shorts. And, you know, she just accepted me. They they all accepted me like I was part of their family. 
and she would stroke my hair and talk to me in Yiddish. Esmamala, there was, you know, the potato kugel this high. And, and she also, they had a lot of bedrooms in the basement that they put in. And so Bachram would come from all over the place. And they were like, um, like a bed and breakfast, basically. So I, I witnessed all this like warmth and family and togetherness and kindness. And, you know, I'd go to their house and the kids would say to me, Maka bracha make a bracha before you eat that, you know, and then I would say the bracha. And I connected to that on such a deep level. It felt like this is what I've been searching for. This is real. This is home. This is how it's supposed to be. I don't know. It just, it felt very comforting and very like the right way to live. And then they'd come to my house and they'd be, you know, with the high necks, it'd be a hundred degree day and they'd be in the long sleeves and the high neck. And I'd offer them Oreo cookies and and Kool-Aid, and they'd say, just a glass of water, please. And I'd say, I won't tell anybody. You can eat this. No one will know. And they'd say, just a glass of water, please. And I was so impressed with these kids. Like, how do you not cheat? How do you not lie and just eat it? Like, aren't you tempted? So there was like a, a regalness and a royalness about them and a pride that they didn't care. They didn't want to dress like me. They didn't want to eat like me. And I was impressed with that. Like, What's this inner strength that you have? If you had met this family when you were in your late teens or early 20s, they could have easily been the family that would have helped you go from secular to orthodox. But it seems like you met them way too early for you to understand that you could change your whole life and start on this journey to becoming orthodox. So is that, is that true that it was like a great imprint for you for the future, but this wasn't the time that you would adopt the way that they're living? Oh, Absolutely. But I didn't like think about it as a child. I didn't think, oh, I want that life. I was on, you know, record. <laughs> my my brain, I was just taking it all in. I wasn't making any future plans at that point. I was just feeling the warmth and the kindness and the acceptance and the non-judgmentalness and the unconditional love. This house was filled with light and love and warmth. And they treated the children so beautifully. My mother was, it was in the era of children should be seen and not heard, but not this family. They wanted to hear from the children. So that was also very impressive. Like they were never yelled at. And when they were yelled at, they would like giggle. There was no harshness in that house. Let's now advance your stories. You get into the teen years and you're, you know, getting through high school and starting to think about college. Like, Where do you go to school? Do you know what you want to do career-wise? How does that part of your life unfold? The bubby got very sick. And I was the babysitter because, of course, there's a lot of children being born now from all the kids. I, I started babysitting for the new babies when I was 10 years old. And they trusted me, which made me feel so special that they trusted me to watch their kids. And then as I got into high school, the bubby got very sick. I was with her when she was sick. They would ask me to come in and be with her and sit with her and help her, which I did. And she, she passed away. So after she passed away, I didn't, you know, and also I, I don't know if that was the reason I didn't go over there much, but, you know, our lives were going in different directions. You know, I was in high school, in a secular high school, being a teenager, and I was a hippie, you know, it was during the, <laughs> the, the early 70s, and just couldn't relate anymore to them, you know, and they couldn't relate to me. I really didn't see them much, even though we were living right next door. So then I, I graduated from high school, and I went to college away. I went out of town, and my mother sold the house. She didn't need it anymore, so she moved into a small condo. 
when I'd come in from school, I'd go to the condo. And I, so I didn't really see this family and I didn't really think much about them. So while I was in college, I, I reconnected with a boy that I knew from my childhood, you know, from my neighborhood, and we ended up getting married. So we're newly married and we, ha- we got this apartment smack dab in West Rogers Park, which is the religious neighborhood in Chicago. So one night we go out for ice cream and we're having our first argument. I want to go to haagen and he wants to go to this ice cream shop called Bressler's and they had kosher ice cream in there, but I didn't want to go there. I liked the other ice cream shop. And he, so somehow he just, he like turned the corner and went into that parking lot for that ice cream. And, and I'm like, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. But we went and we walked through the door and there's this family, the girls that were my age and their mother, sadly, her husband had passed away. So she's, she's here. She is in the, in the ice cream shop with her two daughters and her sister and her sister's kids. And we look at each other and we're just like hugged and we broke out crying because, you know, we hadn't seen each other for years and years and years. And she said, what are you doing religiously? And I said, really nothing. And we were going to like the conservative show that my, my in-laws were members of, but felt very empty too. So I wasn't so into that. So she says, why don't you come to my house for Shabbos, the Shabbos? Turns out she lives seven blocks away. Come over. I want to show you the pictures of the girl that was exactly my age. She got married. She wanted to show me the wedding pictures. And she she said, come here for Shabbos, but don't drive, because then it's a sin on me. She hands me a big box of candles and two little lecters, and she writes out in the transliteration the bracha. She goes, light the candles, say the bracha, and then walk to my house. We said, okay, you know, dinner, sure. We didn't really know what Shabbos was. We, neither of us had ever experienced Shabbos. And um, I was a teacher. I was a special ed teacher, and I, I was at my first job. It was the beginning of the school year, so they had a staff party that night, the same night as the night that she invited us, that Friday night. We decided we'll drive and park a block away so she doesn't see the car, and then we'll have dinner, and then we'll go to the party. And so my husband put on the one and only suit he owned, and I put on the one and only dress I owned, and we went to their house for Shabbos. And as soon as I walked through the door, something transformed in me. First of all, the candles. She had gorgeous candelabra on the table, beautiful tablecloth. She had a nice home. She dressed very beautifully, and everybody was dressed beautifully. I mean, I I had seen, you know, because I had rich relatives, so I saw beautiful tables and beautiful clothing, but not in a religious home. I didn't, just that combination, you know, struck me like, wow, she made kiddush because her husband was no longer alive. And then we washed and then they're helping us with the bracha, the teenage daughters. And I was so impressed, like, don't you guys go out? You're going to stay. You don't have like boyfriends or friends. You don't go to parties. So it it was kind of like a repeat of my childhood, but I wasn't connecting any of it at that point. And then they were like quoting things from the Parsha. And my husband called them, you know, women of wisdom, these young teenagers. And they're so wise. They they just knew so much Torah. Then they took the benchers out and they sang the Birchas Hamazan, you know, out loud. And I was just very impressed with all the this combination of spiritual and physical and fun, but serious. 
and I, I felt like I'm finally home. This felt like real authentic Judaism to me. It wasn't fake and phony like what I saw in my childhood, like in the temple, which also felt very fake and very phony. Like, And even my husband was really loving this. Anyway, so then he starts pointing to his watch and saying, time to go to the party. Like he mouthed it. Like it's already like 1130, but we were having so much fun. We didn't want to leave. I was like, oh yeah, we got to go to that party. So we say our goodbyes, you know, we get in the car, block away and we go to the party. And it was at one of the co-teachers houses. So it was in a basement apartment. So we walked down these steps and already like, it felt like, where are we going? We just left the Royal Palace and now we're going into like to be with the barbarians. It just, <laughs> it just felt so, we both felt it. We open the door and it's filled with smoke. You know, there's drinking, there's smoking, there, there's smoking pot. And this is the principal and the speech pathologist and the psychologist and all the special ed teachers. And then we walk back in the living room and they're playing the game Twister. They're all like falling on top of each other because everybody's drunk and stoned. And, and my husband and I looked at each other and it was like telepathic, really. We just were like, we don't belong here. Let's go. We both felt it and we left. I felt like Hashem was showing us like the two paths, like, which one do you want? So by Wednesday, she called us up. Do you guys want to come for Shabbos? <laughs> of course we said yes. So then it became every Shabbos. And then it was Yom Tivs with all of the amazingness of Yom Tiv and things I had never seen. You know, Tash, it was Rosh Hashanah, I think, was the first Yom Tiv. And then Tashlich and the chauffeur, things just that I never saw in my, my life. I didn't know existed in the food. And, and she was a fabulous cook. That was the other thing. Just her food was amazing. I'm listening to this story as you're sharing this contrast between the party and the Shabbos experience you had. This seems to be like a theme in your life that there are always these two things right next to each other showing you two possibilities, the home you grew up in versus the one next door, the Shabbos experience versus this party. So you're always being shown two paths. It's also interesting that it's the same family that comes back into your life. So you saw everything they were doing, but you were obviously too young to realize that this could be a way of life. And so you needed to come back to it when the timing was right. As your husband and you are starting to like enjoy these Shabbos invitations, are you starting to understand what it would mean to live this kind of life and everything that it entails? Like, how does that part of it unfold? And do you realize exactly what you'd be getting into if you started to adopt some of these things? My husband wanted to go like, full force because he had just started a business. He was really became very successful in what he was doing. And he knew, he knew that it was from God. And so he was a little bit further along than me. So now I'm, I'm in my teaching and um, the whole staff went out to lunch and I thought, okay, you know, I'm trying to keep kosher. I could still eat salad out and it was very dimly lit. And I'd start piling the food on my plate and I sit down and I'm, I'm feeling very holy because I'm just eating salad and everybody else is eating everything else. And I'm, I'm a very holy person and I'm eating. And all of a sudden I taste something that tastes like chopped liver. So I was like, oh no. So I run over to the waiter and I, what is this? Because it was so dark, you couldn't see. He goes, chopped liver. I was like, oh no, oh no, I ate chopped liver. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I can't go to restaurants anymore. Mm. Clearly you have this family that's taking a real interest in you. But wouldn't there need to be a rabbi, an Orthodox shul, like some other source that's giving you the roadmap of what you need to do? 
And in parallel to that, it seems like you both come from secular families. So how are your two families reacting to this path that you're starting to go on? Not happy. Not good. So now we're, we kosher the kitchen and we're not eating in restaurants anymore. We're keeping Shabbos. And also we started meeting community members too, because we were going to shul and we were meeting people in the neighborhood. So we were, we were like very insulated and being like taken care of on all those levels. So my mother, she was not happy at all because food was like a big deal. Like she liked restaurants, even though we, we didn't have money, but somehow oh, she found, she always found the money to go to a restaurant. So she was very upset when she found out that we weren't going to restaurants anymore. And Friday night, she loved this one restaurant and we'd go there. She used to treat us on Friday nights. And I'm like, mom, I'm sorry, we can't go there anymore. And, and she was devastated. You know, because that was the way she showed love. And she was hurt. She was angry. She didn't understand it. My brother called me up one day and said, I feel like you've joined a cult. They just couldn't relate. And my sister weirdly decided to become Catholic and had herself baptized. So it's like, so my mother's like, what's going, what's happening? You know, your sister's Catholic and you're really Jewish. She's like, I don't know my, my own children. So my sister didn't want to have anything to do with me because she got very defensive. Like, you're going to try to convert me back. And I'm like, no, Joyce, you're Jewish. I don't have to convert you back. <laughs> but she didn't like that answer. So that was, that was, those were difficult years. And then my mother remarried and he was completely atheist, I guess, agnostic atheist. And so they would come for Shabbos meals. Now we were, we were already like in the swing of it and we were making Shabbos once in a while. Not not too often. Most of the time we were invited out. And then they'd come and, and he'd sit there and really they'd make fun of he'd make fun of us. So it was those were it was hard. And my and my in-laws also, they were they were more conservative. I think my father in law liked it actually, and probably would have been more religious, but my mother in law was like, You people are crazy. You're fanatics. Why do you want to be Orthodox? So it was hard. We were very alone, like on an island, really, with our families. It was, it was not good. I've seen in some of the other interviews that I've done that sometimes this is resolved in some way, and maybe not fully, when grandkids come into the picture because they want to have that relationship. So it creates this softening of what was going on tension-wise. Does your story have a similar trajectory? Exactly, yes. So um, we had a son. Our first son was born. And of course, his family, with all their delicious home cooking, they came running for the bris, you know, with cakes and like an enormous amounts of food, delicious, beautiful food. And of course, my mother knew these people because they were our neighbors. And not just this family, but the entire community came, you know, how they come running with food. And the whole bris. And then afterwards, while I was recuperating, so she came to help me. And like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks. And she just, she couldn't get over it. She was so blown away. She says, I've never seen anything like this where the community, like they're helping you and, and cooking for you. And she loved the food. She was just like in awe of every meal that came and meeting all these women, these beautiful, sweet, kind, generous women coming with the food and setting it up. And I think somebody even came and washed dishes and she was just blown away. She said, I've, I've never experienced anything like this. I'm so impressed with your community. As time went on and she, she'd come to like the different things that my son was in, the programs. So just like slowly, like 
seeing the the beauty in it. By the way, as I'm listening to this story, I'm thinking about the fact that it really begins with your mom asking this family to watch you when you were little. And boy, did they watch you. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't even know if she realized what she was asking. You know, she was saying, can you, you know, watch my young daughter after school because, you know, I, I can't be home. But this family invested in you at different stages of your life and really transformed the whole outlook of your future. And it's interesting too, the, the Bubby's name was Rivka mm-hmm. and I didn't have a Hebrew name. And at some point I decided to take on a Hebrew name. I didn't realize that her name was Rivka. And then I, I met one of the grandchildren more recently and she says, yeah, my Bubby Rivka, we were reminiscing about our childhoods. And she goes, yeah, my Bubby Rivka. I'm like, her name was Rivka. I gave myself that name. I thought that was just so like, you know, here she was like my spiritual mother, you know, and I, I just was so connected to that name. And you also mentioned that you had one son in this bris, and does your family continue to expand after that? Yeah. So a couple of years later, we had another son. He was born with some special needs. So that was like hard. That, that was, it was really difficult for us. You know, I went around, like I tried to find like grief therapy and, and all this stuff and just like nobody was, nobody could help me. I was, I was like beside myself. And one night I was just, I said, Hashem, I, I, why? What, like, what can I, help me? Just help. I became very surrendered. Like, what is this and why and what, and what do you want me to do? And, and it was interesting. So my prayer was answered. And um, again, this woman, you know, that this family, she, she knew I was like struggling and suffering with it. She says, You've got to come. Rabbi Pinto is in town. This tzaddik. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Kind of a famous, yeah, Makobal. He'll give you a bracha. You've got to come. He's in town. Let's go. So I went. And he told me to light three candles every night and say something for Reb Mayor Belhanes. And he says, and then you're going to have a dream. And when you have the dream, everything's going to get better. Everything's going to be good. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. He said, I think he said do it for 40, 40 days or maybe 30, 34, I don't remember. And don't miss, like every night, those three candles. And say, you know, it was written out what I was supposed to say. And probably on the last day of the lighting of the candles, the last night, I had a dream. And I dreamt, I was in a, I was in this, in a convertible, and the blue sky was beautiful. It was like a clear blue sky. And then, then all of a sudden, a shadow comes over blocking the the blueness and I hear a voice and it says you must cover your head I I, I wasn't covering my head then I woke up I I had had the dream the dream and I woke my husband up and he's like leave me alone go back to sleep (laughs) you're crazy so I call her up in the morning and I I had the dream it said I have to cover my head how am I going to cover my head like I was still in my wearing my blue jeans and my you know I hadn't changed my clothing yet. And so I'm like, how am I going to do this? I'm going to cover my head and wear blue jeans. It's not going to work. And we were actually, we had moved out of the neighborhood. We bought a house at that point. And I forgot to mention that. And it was in a more like modern Orthodox. It was a suburb. It's called Skokie. Modern Orthodox. I had all these modern Orthodox friends and our son was going to like the modern Orthodox school. And so I said, I'm going to put it out of my head. I'm not going to think about it. So somebody told me about this rabbi that 
I had a lot of respect for. So I went to talk to him about it. I told him the story and he was like very, he's got a very serious look on his face. And he said, and he got very serious and he like looked me straight in the eye and he said, if I went to a tzaddik and he told me put on a purple coat, you better believe I would put on that purple coat. Okay, that was it. I'm covering my head. So I started covering my hair. And as soon as I started covering, like my everything changed. I, I, I would say like so much like Kadusha came into my home. I could feel it. I felt like we were being comp- like really upgraded spiritually, like a huge upgrade. And I made, fr- I made friends with this couple, this, this woman. We, we hit it off. We were just talking. And she told me, yeah, my husband, he wants to be Lubavitch. And I was like, what's Lubavitch? I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, come for Shabbos. So we go to their house for Shabbos. And the kids are all playing downstairs, except for my, my special needs son, who's, who's deaf and has some mental impairment. And he's two, three years old, very little. He wasn't wearing his hearing aids. And even if he was, he wouldn't understand anything. And we're sitting around the table, and the husband slams his fist on the table. We're benching, so we can't talk. He finishes benching, and here's my son standing next to him. He points to him, he says, take him to the Rebbe. Take him to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And we're like, we don't know what he's talking about. And all of a sudden, my little son runs behind his chair, and there was a big picture of the Rebbe behind him. And he starts pointing to it and going, (laughs) which was like, not normal, because he wouldn't understand anything. Why would he point at that picture at that moment? And we didn't even know who the Rebbe was, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. How is he supposed to know? And I said to my husband, we have to go. He goes, I know, I know. I'm like, this is just weird, you know, like another very weird Ashkacha Pratis in our lives once again. So we go and he gives us all brachas. He gives my my son, my older son, who was in the, the modern Orthodox school at the time, he gives him a bracha that he's going to grow up to be a Hasidish Bachar, be a Bachar of the Rebbe, and of Yerushalayim. And we all got brachas, and my little son got a bracha. And he, he said to me, the Rebbe said to me, ask your rabbi for a doctor, and then everything will be fine. <clears throat> so it kind of was. It was better than we thought he would be. But after that bracha, um, we went to the bookstore, and my son who was wearing like one of those, you know, yarmulkes with the, you know, the knitted ones with the like baseball. He picks up a black velvet yarmulke and he puts it on his head and he starts dancing around and he goes over and he, he wants to put tzitzes on. And so we bought him tzitzes and we bought him the black yarmulke and he called it his magic yarmulke because it made him act better. That's what he told me. It just seems like from that moment on, you know, there was just like more and more and more elevated moments in our lives. And then we went on and we had two more children. We have two daughters. So we stayed in Skokie. We stayed there for 30 years. And then about 11 years ago, we moved to West Rogers Park, um, back to this neighborhood. When my girls um, started high school, my older daughter started high school. But, you know, their formative years and, you know, I raised my boys there and you know, going to the Lubavitch show. It, it seems like in listening to your story that every time you're at an inflection point, Hashem steps in in just the right way to give you the signal you need to point you in the direction that your family is supposed to go. And you keep ending up where you're supposed to. But what's most important is that you're paying attention to these signs that you're seeing. A lot of these moments that you've described, you didn't necessarily have to take an action just because you had a dream 
or your son pointed at a picture, you know, you could think these are cute stories, but not take an action. But you seem to really be in tune to what kind of messages you were getting and the action you had to take after you received that message. Wow. Thanks for pointing that out. You know, how, how can a special needs child have that much power, like to get us to go, to get brachas, and to just change the whole trajectory of, of our family? I give the, the credit to my special needs son that he brought us to this point. And how do you reflect on this whole journey now as I'm trying to kind of think about all these steps, all these pieces that had to come together for you to end up where you are? How do you now look back on your life and the tumultuous childhood and some of the steps you had to go through to where it is today? What do you think about it now looking back? I'm so grateful. I'm so, I know it was all a gift. I know I was born into this very dysfunctional family for a reason. And my whole family's been touched. They've all gotten huge brachas from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So what was a negative, you know, my brother thinking we were joint, we joined a cult and, and my mother being so sad and so disappointed in me and my stepfather making fun of us, you know, it turned into, you know, my mother lighting Shabbos candles and, and my stepfather telling her to light the Shabbos candles. And my brother also writes to the Rebbe now when he, you know, cause he also got a huge bracha. And my sister also got a bracha, but she doesn't connect it. I guess some people, like you said, you know, I paid attention to these signs and changed my life. Well, I think as I'm trying to piece your whole story together, the part that really jumps out to me is you're getting all these signs. And like you said, you're paying attention to them, but you got these signs because you were a seeker. You said from the very beginning, you were looking for authenticity you were searching for a better life. So the fact that you were asking these questions or even talking to Hashem at such a young age before you even knew what that word meant. And that's probably why you got the answers you were looking for because you were willing to ask the questions and search. So you got the signs and then you paid attention to it. That's probably why your life took these steps and your journey turned out the way that it did. So I just want to say, Rifka, I love your story. I appreciate how authentically you told it. And thank you for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.